Supercross racing has come to play in 2022. Four races into the season, four different winners, and this time another first-time career winner. Congratulations are in order for Chase Briscoe on a thrilling and emotional first career win in Phoenix. This is The Money Stop, and with Cole Cusimano, I'm Stephen Cusimano. The most important stop of the day is underway. And Cole, this was something that I will be completely upfront and honest about. I didn't see it coming at all. I did not see Chase Briscoe going out there and winning at Phoenix of all tracks. Uh, it's a track where we'd seen him go before in the Xfinity series, and he hadn't even performed very well. But uh, this is a testament to how well Stuart Haas Racing has unloaded with the next-gen car. Uh, he came out, put a fast lap on the track during qualifying, started near the front, was kind of lingering the first half of the race, and he did not luck into this win. There were several late restarts where he had to fend off the likes of Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney and Ross Chastain, Tyler Reddick, everyone in between, up-and-comers. I think you put it best in your story this week, Cole. Up-and-comers, former champions, veterans of, of the, the, the league, including Kevin Harvick, who is known for his mastery of Phoenix, and Chase Briscoe really went out there and earned his first career win. This was really an unbelievable sight to see, and you were there for it. So what, what was it like being there for another driver's first career win in 2022? Yeah, that's right. We're 2-0 on the season so far on first-time winners. Had Austin Sindrick in Daytona, Chase Briscoe at Phoenix. And overall, I had a lot of fun. It was a sellout crowd. I think that was the first time that it happened at Phoenix in the spring race in a long, long time. So that was just great to see the sport as a whole. But I think you said it best. Uh, the fact that Chase Briscoe won at Phoenix was the most surprising part just because he hadn't really performed here that well in the Xfinity Series. But it wasn't a matter of if, but when. And I think what we saw from the 14 team and Chase Briscoe was outstanding on Sunday. I think Johnny Klauswire called a great race. The entire 14 team has had a great speed all season. And uh, I think it's going to be a really good year for SHR. I'm just really excited for the, the uh, state of the sport. I think Chase Briscoe is going to have a really big season. And uh, yeah, it was a great race. Is Stuart Haas racing back? I mean, that's the next thing I'll ask you. Kevin Harvick was running up front. He had a shot at the win. Eric has had good speed pretty much all season. And this win, of course, for Chase Briscoe coming virtually out of nowhere. The only car that we haven't really seen running up front is Cole Custer. But are, are they back into form, at least from what we saw a couple of years ago? I, I think really, if I had to answer that question, Cole, I think that they are on an even playing field with a lot of the other teams. And that's not to say that, you know, it's not a bad thing because I, I think that Every team is in that same boat, whether it's Hendrick, Gibbs, Stuart Haas. I think that virtually any team that has a car on the track and a somewhat proficient driver, I think they can go out there and win any race on any given weekend with this car and this rules format. I agree. I, I think I'd even rank them ahead of Joe Gibbs Racing at this point in time, just collectively as a whole, all four cars in terms of speed and execution. Uh, you mentioned Eric Amarola. Had the three straight top tens entering Phoenix, finished 12th in the in a in the rough mortgage 500. So another solid showing for him. Uh, although the results don't really show it, Cole Custer has had a progressive year in terms of uh, place differential points. But Chase Briscoe had a phenomenal race. They've had speed the entire season. Kevin Harvick was like a mainstay in the, that, that third position the entire race at Phoenix. And I think they're knocking on the door for a win, and they're going to be a, a factor the entire season. But I do think SHR is, is definitely back. Now, how about maybe another underrated element that we haven't really talked about at all this year? I mean, all the talk has been about the next-gen car and new rules and all various different things, but there's been practice and qualifying on the track this year, and I feel like just thinking about this and seeing young drivers perform the way they have been with uh, Tyler Reddick, Ross Chastain, and Chase Briscoe finishing third through first, respectively, is practice maybe a huge benefit for some of these younger guys? And that's why we're seeing a guy like Chase Briscoe in victory lane? Without a doubt, because they had very far and few in between last year, only at the newer tracks. And I think having that definitely gives those younger guys a, a notebook to build off of. And yeah, I, I do think it's definitely beneficial. I just think overall as a whole, the younger drivers are adapting quicker to the next-gen car. I, I think we're starting to see driver sort of acclimates that because this was the most composed race as a whole, most reserved for, uh, throughout the four races this season. So I think it's more so just catching on, but I want to get your opinion on this. I, I feel like more than anything, the, the big equalizer with this next gen car is putting the team back in NASCAR. And that's not to say that 
the team element wasn't a big factor with the Gen 6 car, but I think that with this next-gen car, I think you're seeing the parity and the different uh, front runners by virtue of pure team execution. I think now we're seeing that, yes, speed and on-track performance matters, but if you can execute from top to bottom as a team on the track, on pit road, on top of the spotter stand, and you're there at the end, you're going to have a shot at the win. Right. It's almost, it's reminiscent of like a restrictor plate track or a super speedway because the the old saying is you just have to keep the nose clean and be there at the end and you're going to have a shot at the win, like you just said. And with this team perspective that you're bringing here, it's like you really just need to be near the top five with a late restart and anything can happen. And so that comes from the pit stops, that comes from dialing the car in throughout the the race, making sure it's good on the long run, the short run, whatever it might need to be for a given race weekend. And the communication factor has been huge. And you even look at a guy like Ryan Blaney. He's had fast cars four weeks in a row, but his pit crew has really let him down. It seems like every time he's down pit lane, he loses five or six positions and he's not had the results to reflect how fast his car has been. So it really is a team effort in every sense of the word. And especially with how much of a kind of a crapshoot it is with these next-gen cars, you really do need to kind of rely on the team to, to make sure you're up front near the end of the race. Without a doubt. And honestly, we hadn't even talked about it yet, but I think that this Phoenix race as a whole was a microcosm of Ryan Blaney and Chase Elliott's careers at Phoenix. They were both mm-hmm. clearly the dominant cars the entire day, accounting for 193 or 312 laps. And, I mean... What, what can you say at this point for those two guys? Like, they both either look like a shoe-in for the win, and Ryan Blaney's crew did him dirty again. I, uh, two of the three pit stops uh, at the end of the day uh, set him back. I think they were able to maintain or gain positions on the very last stop, the money stop, and that at least put him in position to get a good finish, and he fin- ended up fourth. But really, really disappointing day for both those guys. Chase Elliott, another guy who had speed all day, I would say he was a little bit off the pace from Ryan Blaney, but towards the end of that race, his car definitely came to its own and uh, his, his pit crew as well set him back, I think, uh, in two of those last stops of the day. So what, what can you say at this point for those two guys? You're right. It's like every time at Phoenix, and it's funny because we did acknowledge this in our episode last week. It's like toward the end of the races at Phoenix, no matter how fast they are, and they were pretty much top five the entire race leading up to the later portion, it's like somebody pulls out the rug from under them. And sure enough, we had a bunch of young guns that were there to capitalize. And let's talk about that for a second. Like the future is here. Watching those four drivers or three drivers, however many it was, duke it out at Phoenix for the win. Ross Chastain, Tyler Reddick, both easily could have won that race. It ended up being Chase Briscoe. But uh, I feel like there may be one name I'm forgetting out of that that pack uh, that, that got passed maybe a little bit. But I mean, just seeing that was, it was so impressive to, again, like you've got Kevin Harvick in the mix. You've got Ryan Blaney. You've got all these great drivers. And who is it fighting for the win? It's three guys that have never won a race in the Cup Series. That If that doesn't tell you that the future is here and that the next-gen car is for real if from a, comp- a competition aspect, then I don't know what's, what's going to tell you that. I, I think that those two guys, Chastain and Reddick, are also, as we've well documented, they are also knocking on the door for a win. Oh, it's outstanding. Yeah, like you said, the future is here. Uh, it was really, really awesome seeing all three of those guys vibe for the win. And just just look at the top three of those teams. You had first place Stewart Haas Racing, second place Track House Racing, and third or yeah, third place RCR. So the parity is definitely here. If you're there at the end, you're going to have a shot. And you even had 2311 Racing finish top five with Kurt Busch out of nowhere, basically. So yeah. this was an insane race. And I know the racing got a little bit of flack on, on social media, but the fact of the matter is all these races can't be like caution filled and climatic. Like there's going to be those times where the, the competition has to let itself shine. You're going to have those long green flag runs and, and see strategy come into play. And it did for a large majority of this race, you had the tire fall off. You had uh, fuel mileage there towards the end. So I think like maybe the on-track stuff wasn't that compelling, but there was passing throughout the field. Uh, the leader didn't didn't get away as much as that they typically would at Phoenix, uh, due, mainly due to the more drag on the cars. But uh, I, I think this was a great race in terms of just being very strategic and uh, the parity up front towards the end. And think about it. Like, this was a race where 
I mean, when you put it next to the other three races we've had this year at Fontana, Vegas, and Daytona, yeah, of course it's not going to look the best. But if you would have dropped this particular Phoenix race in the middle of the 2021 or the 2020 season, I think people would be raving about it because it was that good. But it's being unfairly compared to three of the better races that uh, honestly we've ever seen. And, And that's just a testament to how good this season has been, how competitive the sport now is. And I'm excited to see what plays out as we go to maybe the biggest wild card on the entire schedule right now. And that is Atlanta. But first I do want to give a little pat on the back for our predictions and some of the advice that we gave you guys going into last weekend's episode at Phoenix. It's again, it's a track that we know better than anybody. I'm I'm not going to sugarcoat that. I'm I'm not going to like, we've been at every race there since 2008 and we came with the heat and we, we had some really good sleepers and predictions. Let's roll through the top 10 real quick. Uh, Chase Briscoe won the race, of course. Ross Chastain, who was my sleeper, ended up finishing second. Tyler Reddick finished third. Ryan Blaney fourth. Kurt Busch, you mentioned, out of nowhere, finished fifth. Kevin Harvick continued his streak of 18 straight top tens at Phoenix, tying Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt, who did it at North Wilkesboro. So when we go to Phoenix in November, Kevin Harvick will have the chance to break that unique record and put himself in uh, in the history books. Kyle Busch, who was my winner pick, ended up finishing seventh. It was kind of a, a letdown of the day for Joe Gibbs Racing. Joey Logano finished eighth, Daniel Suarez ninth, and Chris Busher rounded out the top 10. So a couple of other guys who were able to capitalize on some late race restarts there. But I also did want to touch on both Todd Gilliland and Ty Dillon, because those were our two big sleepers this week, Cole, that you kind of threw on the outline and confused me with uh, before, uh, prior to our last episode. But you told us why they were sleepers and the fact that they were maybe a little overachieving both at Phoenix and so far this season. And they both came out and put top 20s on the board. Uh, Yeah, that was just, again, we got to pat ourselves on the back for that one. Uh, Just follow the trends, man. And I I think that they'll prove to be worthy in the end. Just top 15 for Ty Dillon. He's had progressive place differential in every single race this season. Uh, with the exception of Daytona, Tal Gilliland is riding a three-race uh, positive place differential streak. And I think even more surprisingly, Tal Gilliland, he's, I, I, I feel like I'm his biggest hype man at this point. Uh, <laughs> the, the numbers he's, he's been putting up this season have been really commendable. He's outshined his teammate at, at FRM, Michael McDowell, in three of the four races, uh, Daytona being the only outlier. And I, I think it's it's been something to keep an eye on for the entire season. Like people had him written off just going from trucks to cup. And uh, he's proving in the end why he's he's here in the cup series, why he's given this opportunity. It's been really fun to watch. And um, it, I, li- I like what I'm seeing out of Ty Dillon as well. I think that uh, Petty GMS has shown speed as a whole all year, although the results may not show it for Eric Jones, but. Uh, I think both those tables have looked really strong. And I think it's a testament to the even playing field with the next gen car. And it's funny too. You mentioned how it, it's been fun to see these guys perform well. And, and I think of Todd Gilliland and I, from the very beginning, I just loved this pairing of, of front row motorsports and Todd Gilliland because like, he's a guy who is, he's always kind of been under the radar his entire career, no matter what level of the sport he's been at. And I don't feel like maybe he would do as well with high expectations if he would, had been a prodigy for Penske or for Hendrick Motorsports or whatever that it might be. I think that this is a perfect situation for him coming into a brand new car uh, in terms of the next gen car and working with a team that's that's always been, again, under the radar, but they've proven they can run up front when uh, the opportunities present themselves. And it's it's really showing why as he, he finished 19th at Phoenix. So that was extremely fun uh, to see that play out. And uh, if you listened to us last week, congratulations, because you probably scored some pretty big wins uh, if you were betting on that race at Phoenix. Do you want to also touch on the Xfinity race? And this was a a crazy one for our own personal reasons, which we'll get to. But uh, on the competition side, Noah Gregson finally put the bow on it. Third, second, second. You know, those were his first few races of the season. He was knocking on the door. And he finally put a full race together, won at Phoenix. And we've been waiting for this from Noah Gregson. Like he literally every, not every week last season, but a lot of the weeks, I would say probably around half of the schedule, he had a strong car. He was running up front. And again, kind of like we mentioned with Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney at Phoenix, the the rug would just get pulled out from under him, whether it was him running into a slow lap car at, at Vegas last year or whatever that was, California, or just 
a victim of the circumstances all the time last year. And, and this is a testament to Noah Gregson's maturity, his demeanor, the way he has progressed as a driver, both on and off the track. And he was the dominant car and he won the race. So you got to love to see it for Noah Gregson. Yeah, what we're seeing out of him this year is really remarkable. I think that new pairing with Luke Lambert's going to pay off really well for him. And he's mm-hmm. without a doubt the favorite in my mind very early on in the season. I mean, you look at his stat line, third, second, second, and first. Like, that's just absurd. I, I just think, like you mentioned, he, he's, he's displaying a newfound maturity, a newfound composure, and that's going to be really dangerous for the rest of the year. And cool little side note is that he's going to be running in the uh, colleague number 16 this weekend at Atlanta. And I'm curious to see how he does, mainly because he had his cup debut in, at Daytona. And now going to a, basically a brand new track in Atlanta, I think he may have a decent shot to have a, a good fantasy day or even a good day in general at, 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 at Georgia. And it's, it's going to be really fun to see. The really fun tidbit, though, with this win for Noah Gregson was it's not that, that he dominated this race and put it all together. It's that this is crazy to even say out loud, but Noah Gregson pointed into the stands, selected our sister, Joy Cusimano, to get the checkered flag. She ran down to victory lane afterwards onto the infield and shotgunned a black rifle coffee with Noah Gregson. I mean, that that's the stuff that's literally the stuff dreams are made of. Like that's a, a once in a lifetime thing. It sounds like I'm joking. Like if you have no further context or prior context, like joy is our sister. She's 18 years old. She's a big Noah Gregson and chase Elliott fan. And on the way to the track, she said, and I wasn't there. I mean, I, I've just kind of followed this from 2000 plus miles away. She said, Noah Gregson's going to win the race. I'm going to ask him for the checkered flag, and I'm going to shotgun a black rifle coffee with him. Sure enough, all the stars aligned. Not only did he win and dominate the race and have a great burnout, by the way, but everything else that she said would happen, happened. Like that, that just, that's crazy to think about. And uh, I know that that got some love on social media with people following her story, but um, that's just the fun of NASCAR. I mean, the access of it that you see and uh, seeing things like this play out, it's, it's wonderful. And I remember my first experience when I got to meet Jimmy Johnson. I'm sure you remember your first experience getting to meet Dale Jr. Cole, who were our two childhood favorite drivers. And it's it's life changing in some ways. And I, I was so happy to see that that the things played out that way for joy because it was it was fun to watch from very far away. I was stunned. I had no idea what was going on just because I was working in the media center all day and roaming the track. And it was just a very, very busy Saturday. So <laughs> To say I was shocked uh, would be an understatement, seeing her on TV and with the checkered flag. And, and then, of course, the, the infamous shotgunning of the Black Rifle Coffee in Victory Lane. Like that, like you said, that, that's the stuff dreams are made of. And it's just part of the magic of, of being a fan of NASCAR. And it's just, you know, it, it's cool to see like her take our same path in life and, and be just so invested in the sport at her age and, and you know, all this stuff. So. Uh, yeah, it, it, that was a really cool moment to see. And it was kind of funny. All, I had all the media members like in the media center and up and down pit road, just like <laughs> congratulating me. I was like, I didn't do anything, but that, it's pretty cool that my sister got to do all these things with Noah Gregson. So yeah, that, that was an awesome uh, little addition to the weekend. Yeah. That, I mean, that was hilarious. It, it was just funny because again, for me, 2000 plus miles away, I was getting the text updates, obviously joy saying that she was going to, try and make this happen. And so I'm watching the race and I'm like, you know, I'm secretly rooting for Noah Gregson because I wanted to see not only, I mean, it's cool to see him succeed individually, but I wanted to see this play out. And sure enough, everything played out. And it was like, not a single detail was lost. Not only did she get the checkered flag, she shotgun the black rifle coffee with him. He won the race. Like it, it was just a, in terms of what joy would have liked, it was a perfect day and I couldn't believe yeah. the way it played out. So that was Really cool. So we'll end Phoenix there on a high note. It's a, a magic place for us uh, in every sense of the word. And, and the countless memories made there continue, even when I'm not there to see it in person. So that was great. The race was great. Another first time winner, Chase Briscoe. Let's turn the page, though, to Atlanta Motor Speedway. And this is not the same old Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, there has been a repave on this track, and there seems to be a lot of confusion or uncertainty that uh, of what we're going to see here it looks like we're going to have a mini daytona uh, something of a super speedway package that they're going to use at atlanta motor speedway this week and adding to that all of the fast friday festivities were rained out so uh, we're going to have to wait a little longer 
to see these cars hit the track. And for full transparency, we are recording this early Saturday, right before practice begins. So uh, I really, I'm going to be honest, Cole, I don't know what to expect. And before we get into our, our nickel or dime paint scheme segment and the starting lineup and all that, what are, like, what are we thinking here? What, what is the chatter? I mean, you work in the, the media and you're much more in the know than me with uh, what the drivers and teams are expecting this week. What can we expect at Atlanta? I don't know. Well, I'll get down to the specifics really quick. So forget the old abrasive 62-year-old surface that was, you know, accustomed at, at Atlanta. This place is going to be stupid fast and slick, a full repave, banking increases from 24 degrees to 28 degrees, making it the steepest intermediate track on the circuit. The racing surface has been narrowed from 55 feet all around to 52 on the front stretch, 42 down the back stretch, and 40 in the corners. So extremely narrow. We're going to be racing in really close quarters at really high speeds. And you mentioned the super speedway package. Uh, that is in place. The 510 horsepower, 7-inch spoiler package as opposed to uh, 640 and 4 inches. And the double yellow line rule is in place as well. So you can't go below that double yellow line to make a a pass. You can't force anybody below that line or you're going to get penalized. Uh, And they're also using a brand new tire that's unique to Atlanta to accommodate the high speeds, the slick surface, and the heat that will get built up in those tires. So I honestly have no idea what to expect uh, spoke to a few drivers at Phoenix about this race. They don't know what to expect. Uh, had a, many guys saying that drafting will play a role. You had Kurt Busch, Ross Chastain, and Chris Busher t- uh, partake in a test session here in January, and that seemed to be the case as well. Definitely some speed pickup uh, in the draft, and that was with only three cars. So I think the talk around the garage is that it's going to be very much like a super speedway race. Drafting will play a factor, but you just don't know if it's going to be more like a, a homestead or a Vegas in the sense that the draft definitely helps, but it's not everything. And I think that you're going to see a very good mix of like that high speed intermediate track racing with super speedway racing. So it should be a very fun, very intense and very unpredictable race, to say the least. Yeah, I'm excited, especially when you consider the fact that the f- past four races have been so unpredictable. Now you walk into literally, as you said, with the, the details of it all, literally a brand new track, and we don't know what we're going to see and the possibility that it could be as exciting as a Daytona or Talladega. That's that's fun. And I'm excited to see what it looks like. I don't think I've ever been this excited to see a practice session play out. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. First, let's look at these cars we're going to see in our nickel or dime segment where we rate the paint schemes five or 10 out of 10. And I like some of these paint schemes, Cole. I'm going to jump right off the bat and say that my dime is the number 24 Liberty University car that William Byron is driving. This is one of my favorite paint schemes every year. It's one of those that uh, I love the color scheme, obviously, with the red, white, and blue. But I like the way that they incorporate the red and white as kind of the primary colors with the the dark blue kind of as an accent. They pretty much do that on that paint scheme every year. And I really like the way that this one looks with the flames. 24 car should have flames on it, in my opinion. That's what I was raised on, and, and I just love the way that that looks. Love the way the colors accent each other. That is another one of my early contenders for the Silver Dollar Award that we give out at the end of the year for the best paint scheme. And I know you've got some thoughts of your own, too, on these cars, Cole. Yeah, there's some good-looking cars this week. I love the 42 of Ty Dillon. It is a Alskill uniform-sponsored car. The front half of the car is like a lighter lime green the back half has a more dark green base. There's a giant Alsco logo uh, going from the, the back of the number uh, to the past the rear of the wheel. And that's what you want to see with this new number placement uh, by design. You want to see more sponsorship exposure. That's definitely what this car is doing. Mm-hmm. And there's also like a, a triangular shape towards the bottom of the car uh, that's yellow. It just looks really, really clean. I love just the... Uh, that, that color scheme as a whole, the, the two shades of green with the yellow just looks very nice. I think it's going to look awesome on track. A good design. And the other dime I want to give out, is going to go to Ryan Blaney's body armor car. Yep. Well, he's been a big fan of this car and I think it looks uh, a lot simpler than years past. Mm-hmm. So you have like just a white trim at the bottom of the car. You have that, that, re- that red base, uh, the body armor red, and there's three body armor bottles behind the number. And one thing that you can't really see from the graphic, 
but there's also a very thin neon yellow line accent above that white trim. Mm -hmm. And even better looking to me is those hood vents, the louvers. They individually wrap those to where they're neon yellow. So you have the body armor logo on the hood and those neon yellow accents on the side. It just looks really, really badass. I love my neon on these stock cars and uh, this is a really good looking car. So uh, those, those would be my two diamonds of the week. I do love the Liberty U car as well. I, I think I agree. Flames belong in the 24 car and uh, it's another really solid design they brought to the track this year. Yeah, I was going to also give a shout out to that 12 car. That's a dime for me. I love the way that that one looks with the lines. It has the lines almost give it like an old school look with the, the little bit of white and yellow on the bottom and then the red body, but then the white back on the top of the car by the roll cage. Uh, and I just love incorporating the three little body armor bottles next to the 12. So that's a nice use of the extra space there. And um, those are honestly, I, I don't really have much thoughts on, on the rest of the cars that I'm looking at on our graphic, which you can find at the underscore money stop. Definitely going to want to take a look there on social media to see that those cars that we're talking about, the 12, the 42, and the 24. Well, let's get into the competition side of things. That was our nickel or dime segment. And once again, you can find that graphic on our social media at the underscore money stop. But uh, we talked about all the unknowns, all of the unpredictability that is going to come with this race. And uh, we do have a starting lineup. That's one thing that is not unknown because uh, obviously qualifying got rained out, as we mentioned at the top. So NASCAR's formula that they came up with to decide qualifying is what set the starting lineup this week. And that means that Chase Briscoe, last week's winner, is on the pole. He's followed by Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, Kyle Busch, and Tyler Reddick to round out the top five. Chase Elliott, Ross Chastain, Kevin Harvick, Kurt Busch, and Eric Almarola round out the top 10. So it'll be an interesting one, Cole. Um, just talking generally about what to expect in this race, it's almost like you can throw old stats out the window. I think that there, there may be some element of the old Atlanta track in terms of it being still the same distance, but I really don't know how much of a factor that even plays. It's literally a brand new track. You talked about all the specifics of it. And for those reasons, it's extremely difficult to predict what is going to happen in this race. It's a total wild card. And so I'm curious as to, to how you see this playing out. <laughs> I, I don't really have much to say on the matter. It's just so tough to take into account uh, prior Atlanta history going into this race. I think it's mainly going to go based off uh, speed through four races, momentum attained in that time, and then super speedway prowess that we've seen at tracks like Daytona and Talladega. So let's go into the odds per DraftKings Sportsbook. We have Ryan Blaney and Kyle Larson favored at plus 1,000. Joey Logano at plus 1,200, along with Denny Hamlin as well. And then Kyle Busch rounds out the top five at plus 1,300. So extremely favorable odds this week for betters favors. I mean, that says it all. The, the favorites are Kyle Larson and Ryan, Ryan Blaney at plus 1,000. So if there's ever going to be a week for you to bet on NASCAR, I think it's going to be this week at Atlanta where everything's so unpredictable and the odds are in your favor. Yeah, I mean, the odds are very high and that, you know, usually you're going to see the race winner at like plus 450. And when the odds of the winner or uh, the guys who are tied for the best odds and Blaney and Larson are plus a thousand, that really puts in perspective how unpredictable this is going to be. A um, couple of other notables, though, that are a little deeper down on the odds list. Chase Elliott is also tied for fifth at plus 1300 at, at Atlanta to win this week. Right behind him, William Byron at plus 1500. He's been knocking on the door on several occasions this year. As has Tyler Reddick, he's valued at plus sixteen hundred. Kurt Busch plus two thousand, and Ross Chastain, who almost won last week, valued at plus twenty five hundred. So it'll be very interesting. But Cole, how much of a, an advantage was it? Do you think participating in the tire test at Atlanta? Because there were three drivers: Kurt Busch, Ross Chastain, and Kurt, uh, Chris Busher, who all participated in that tire test in January, and they were the only three drivers to have any kind of baseline to go off of for this race. And ironically, they also all placed in the top 10 at Phoenix. So they probably should be, I think, heavy considerations for your fantasy lineups and any kind of betting that you are going to do this week, because they also do have a really good history at this track. But how much of a factor does that play? The fact that they have already been here for the tire test. I think it's huge. And you throw in the fact that they're only going to have one 50 minute practice session to uh, this weekend's huge. There's no qualifying. So any sort of track time that you have going into this race is going to be massive. 
I think Kurt Busch specifically is one of the most intuitive drivers. He's one of the ones the most experienced. He's also the winningest driver actively at Atlanta. So I think that he's going to be a really, really good pick for this race, but uh, for the win potentially. But all three of those drivers should definitely be in heavy consideration for your lineups. Uh, I guess with that, let's jump right into the uh, DFS analysis. So into Kurt Busch, he is the most recent winner at Atlanta. Again, the active winningest driver there with four. And he's been a fantasy darling this year, uh, meaning he hasn't qualified very well, but he's had very positive place differential points and very good finishes for 23-11 racing. And if you're asking me, I think that he has been the most consistent of the Toyota uh, drivers this season, along with his brother, Kyle Busch, because we've seen guys like Christopher Bell, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr. and Bubba Wallace struggle mightily with this next-gen car. And I guess, you know, a lot of it's chalked up to the uh, the mechanical woes they had at Daytona and Fontana. But overall, the speed just has not been there for guys like Christopher Bell and Denny Hamlin. So I think Kurt Busch, he has been really, really good this year, very consistent. And I think just having that experience overall at Atlanta and at the tire test is going to pay off in a huge way for him this weekend. Um, and yeah, he's the only one of only drivers with positive place differential points in three or four races this season. The only outlier was a uh, minus two place differential at Daytona, uh, which is impressive in itself. That's almost exactly. more impressive than the past three positive place differentials. Exactly. And, and in those three races where he had positive place differential points, it was 10 plus spots or more. So uh, he's been great this season for fantasy purposes. And by all accounts, he should be, I think a guy that you base your lineup around is Kurt Busch. And how about Ross Chastain? I just kind of teased at him because he was also part of that uh, tire test at Atlanta. And I talked about it last week. I mean, he was my sleeper for the reason that I, I feel like he feeds off of momentum and positivity and just kind of steamrolls more than any driver we've seen in, in recent past. And sure enough, placed third at uh, Vegas and then runner up at Phoenix. And, you know, he is badly wanting a win. And you could even tell after the race, rather than being kind of dejected, he was in high spirits. And, and this is a dangerous driver because, again, you put this car, puts the, the a lot of the racing into the driver's hands and less on the team. And Ross Chastain has proven that he's going to take full advantage. And he's another guy who, with the exception of Daytona, positive place differential points in the last three races in a row. Also a stage win where he was one of the most dominant cars at California, 22 total stage points. Only issue with these two in terms of both Kurt Busch and Ross Chastain is that um, they are starting a little bit higher in the pack because of the qualifying metrics that set the field. So starting ninth and seventh respectively, I think they should still be considered, uh, you know, for your lineup for DraftKings at least. And um, when it comes to race winner bets, like, realistically all bets are off this week. Like, I don't think that we're going to see a driver. I mean, I'm not going to say that. I don't think we're going to see a driver who typically ends up in victory lane winning this race, which sounds kind of weird, but like, it's been a, a wild card season. We've seen two first time winners. Like, would it surprise me to see a guy like Kurt Busch or Ross Chastain in victory lane at Atlanta? I, it would not. And they're valued at plus 2000 and plus 2500 respectively. So um, just thinking about, their recent history this season, their history at Atlanta, the fact that they did test there. Those are two guys I feel pretty strongly about, and I know that you agree on that. Without a doubt. And Ross Chastain, I think he's just one of the most tenacious drivers in the garage area. When he's hot, he's hot. And no matter what he's driving, no matter what his results were the week before, he is going to drive the wheels off of whatever he's in, and he's going to get the best result out of it. And I think Ross Chastain is going to be a winner in the Cup Series this year. And I think it could be this week. I, I mean, both these guys have great shots to win. Another guy who we mentioned that did the test at Atlanta was Chris Buescher. And he snuck away with the top 10 at Phoenix um, after that last lap calamity with Austin Dillon uh, in, in the rough workage 500. But RFK has been a bit of an enigma this season. The speed's been shown on a few occasions. But I think if this race is anything like Daytona and Talladega, Chris Busher is going to be a guy you want to include in your lineup because he's a great plate racer. He won one of the duels this season in Daytona, and he's become very close to winning at those types of tracks. So he would be a great value pick, especially after having that baseline to work with from the test in January. 
and he's starting 14th. So it's also a pretty, pretty favorable position, especially if it is like a Daytona or Talladega. So I think that all three of those drivers that took part in the uh, test session uh, should be guys that you can kind of base your lineup around. But one more guy I do want to talk about is a guy who's riding momentum. He's been one of the fastest cars, if not the fastest car all season, and that's Tyler Reddick. Scorching hot. He's been on the verge of winning pretty much since like the halfway point of last year. And it's crazy because you often see guys with their heads down after coming so close on so many occasions to winning. But for him, what I'm seeing out of Tyler Reddick is something special because he is in a remarkable headspace right now. He is just in great spirits. He's praises his team up, down, left, and right. I think the product they're putting on the on the track and on pit road is second to none. And um, it's just remarkable. And I think that this track should really, really accentuate his driving abilities. Uh, it's going to, I think, mirror, like I said previously, those high-speed intermediate tracks with the super speedways, two tracks he performs very well at. So combining those two with the momentum he's had this season, this is going to be a very dangerous race for Tyler Reddick and the rest of the field because I think that he's going to be uh, one of the favorites for sure. And he's plus, I think, 1,600. So if you want to consider him as a race winner bet, I think that'd be a great, great option. He's absolutely knocking on the door, like you said. It feels like since halfway through last year, as you just said. And it's so cool to see both him and Ross Chastain. They're kind of, they've always been like, since they've come in the Cup Series, two peas in a pod. Like they've, they kind of, they started out similar and, and, you know, ascended to a point where they were both doing very well at the halfway point of last year. And here they are running up front, placing up front consistently. And those two guys, they've always been so under the radar. Like when they were coming up through the ranks, they were not looked at like prodigies, like a guy like a Harrison Burton or a Chase Briscoe or any of those guys that, that kind of fell into really good equipment. A William Byron comes to mind like or Chase Elliott, obviously they were always under the radar and here they are racing with these big name drivers and they are going out there and, and they're going to, they're coming close to winning so many races. And I really do feel like the floodgates are going to be open for these guys once they finally do win. And who knows, maybe this could be the week for Tyler Reddick, one where there is a big wild card and a big sense of unpredictability at the track. And one that, as you said, plays into his driving style. Speaking of driving styles though, Ryan Blaney and Kyle Larson, two guys with similar driving styles, and they have proven success on these types of tracks. Blaney's been among the fastest drivers all year, and he won in Atlanta at this race a year ago. This doesn't have the results outside of Phoenix to show uh, for the speed that that team has had this year. And Kyle Larson, you can argue, has been the most consistent driver every week. He's the defending champion. You can't go wrong with him, and that's why those two drivers are favored to win this race. And Atlanta is a place, at least for Kyle Larson, where he's always had Tons of speed, so both drivers should definitely be considered favorites for the win. I don't know if I would consider them very much for DraftKings, at least in the case of Ryan Blaney, because of how high up he starts. But Kyle Larson, starting 21st in DraftKings, he's going to be very expensive. But if you can fit him in your lineup, I would go for it. Um, but when it comes to race winner bets, I like both those guys at plus 1,000. They are, again, they're the winners, and they're, it's kind of a bargain to say that you can, you can bet on the favorite at plus 1,000. So that's if you're placing a winner bet, both of those guys seem like money in the bank to me. Really, there is no guarantees this week, but if there's any two guys who you could feel pretty good on betting, uh, it's Ryan Blaney and Kyle Larson. Another guy is Chase Elliott. He has been dying to win at his home track in every sense of the expression. He's also a great super speedway racer. He's always had speed at Atlanta, and he's been one of the fastest cars and most consistent cars all season as well. Just, again, on occasion, similar to the two guys we just talked about, hasn't put it all together uh, on any given week uh, so far this year. So those three guys kind of in, in a similar boat. Maybe this is the year for Chase Elliott. I feel like every time we go to Atlanta, people are talking about maybe he'll finally win in his home track, and it, it, does, it doesn't happen. Maybe now where it, the track is like a, a wild card, maybe this is the year where it happens for Chase Elliott. I, I think this is a great bargain having him at plus 1,300 for race winner odds going into the, the weekend before practice. And I, I think it, it could be the year for him, you know? It's just a, a clean slate, a brand new track essentially. And what better way to, to start the new bid with this brand new surface than uh, with a win? So I think that Chase Elliott would be a great option for the win this week. 
Another guy who has esteemed super speedway resume is Joey Logano, and he's been flying under the radar the entire season thus far. I know we're only four races in, but he has been extremely consistent. He's been one of the fastest cars all year. And I think Joey Logano, another guy who has a great shot at, at the win this week, if it is anything like a Daytona or a Talladega. And then two more big names that are out there are uh, former champions and Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick. Both are making a case for the most resilient drivers and teams this season. They've been very fast on a weekly basis, and it seems like only a matter of time before they start winning again. Bush almost won this race last year in the fall or the summer, I guess. Uh, Kevin Harvick has three wins here, which is second most among active drivers. Last one here in 2020, but he didn't seem too enthused in Phoenix about going here this time around with the repave. So maybe not as much optimism in Kevin Harvick as I have in a Kyle Busch, but nonetheless, Kevin Harvick's been very fast this season. He was a mainstay in that third position in Phoenix the entire day. So I think both these guys are going to have pretty strong days and both have had positive place differential points in three or four races this season. Harvick a bit more successful in that regard with 17 stage points and 10 plus spots in those three progressive place differential races. And I guess that kind of wraps up like our heavy hitters tier of drivers that have a really good shot at winning this race. We'll talk about a couple of other guys to keep an eye on here. And one of those is Brad Keselowski. How do you talk about Brad Keselowski and going to a track that they're kind of calling Daytona light in the sense that it could race very similar to Daytona? And how do you not bring up the guy who had the fastest car and led the most laps in the Daytona 500? Statistically, Brad has been one of the worst DFS drivers all season long negative place differential in every single race, but he's got 16 stage points. And again, a lot of the confidence in him and really maybe the only confidence in him comes in the fact that he ran so well at Daytona, led the most laps, won the duel, and he is a true super speedway racer. So if this is a race that plays out like people are maybe expecting it to, or at least speculating like it may, as a third super speedway on the circuit, Brad Kozlowski is going to be a massive, massive value pick. He starts 24th too. So that is a great position in terms of wanting to, you know, if this is a super speedway race, you're going to be, it's going to be a bargain. If you can get Brad Kozlowski in your lineup starting 24th, because I guarantee you, if, as long as there's no incidents that he is caught up in, he will certainly find his way up to the front and will help, you know, he'll have a good shot at winning this race. If it does race similar to Daytona, but that is a huge unknown at this point. But you talk about great super speedway racers and guys who excel specifically at Daytona, Denny Hamlin. I mean, he's known for his success at Daytona. Struggled dramatically with the new car so far over the first four weeks, but he's one of few drivers like Brad to have negative place differential points in every single race, yet to finish above 13th this season. So he's had a tough time with this new car, but again, maybe the only confidence in Denny this week, he is one of the best super speedway racers in the garage. He also starts 15th, so It'll be interesting. Those are two guys who, if you think this race does play out like a Daytona light, that it's sort of being built up to be, they could be good bargains in your fantasy lineup. Right. And two guys in that same boat and two to look out for are going to be two more guys with super speedway success. And that's Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and William Byron. Both drivers have had speed all season, but have been caught up in unfortunate situations and failed to put together a complete race through four races, with the exception of William Byron finishing fifth at Las Vegas, but this could be a good week for them should this race like a Daytona or Talladega, and Stenhouse specifically has really, really good starting spot in 28th, so if 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 it is like a Daytona, uh, similarly to Brad, he's one of the more aggressive pushers uh, in the sport, and he should find his way to the front relatively quickly. William Byron also starting outside the top 10 in 12th, so I think both those guys are two to look out for. So I, I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on Stenhouse and William Byron going into this race, Stephen? Well, I want to interject real quick and just say that as of the moment we're recording this, uh, practice has begun for the truck series, and it, it definitely appears to have super speedway vibes. That track looks bad fast. There are three KBM cars uh, hooked up, drafting with one another in a, a pretty large pack that's developing. And if that is any sign of what's to come, then I like Ricky Stenhouse Jr. this week because he is – always been looked at as one of the most under-the-radar super speedway drivers and a guy that definitely could win. William Byron's been up and down all season. I'm not sure that I would feel comfortable in inserting him into a lineup. The speed's been there on most weeks, but again, 
He's been one of the more unlucky drivers uh, and hasn't really put a full race together. Like you said, Cole, outside of that, that one at uh, was Vegas where he finished fifth. But um, if this is indeed a track that races like a super speedway, throw Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in your lineup. I mean, he's definitely a guy that could, could pay off there. But thinking, Cole, of, of value picks, guys who you would never think about betting on, you know, individually, and maybe you would even cons- not consider putting them in your DFS lineup. But um, there's only four drivers in the entire series, or three drivers, in fact, that have a positive place differential in every race this year. And that is Justin Haley, Ty Dillon, and BJ McLeod. I think if you were to ask a casual NASCAR fan or even an avid NASCAR fan, uh, the answer to that question, those three drivers are three that they would have never named. Ironically, they all have a great success on super speedways between Ty Dillon, Justin Haley, and BJ McLeod. Justin Haley, of course, known for his super speedway prowess in the Xfinity series. BJ McLeod scored his first career cup top 10 last year at Daytona, but he should only be used if you go with a very top-heavy lineup. If you're trying to fit in a guy like Kyle Larson, B.J. McLeod, a guy you would never think of including, but again, the trends say that he may be a guy that you can fit into your lineup. Dylan and Haley are great value picks for Atlanta. Haley, 22nd, it's where he starts, and then Ty Dillon starts 18th, B.J. McLeod, 34th. So some guys to consider. Again, if you're p- plugging in some of those heavy hitters, Orion Blaney, a Ross Chastain, a guy like that in your lineup. Um, maybe you do consider guys like that for your lineup. I think definitely. Uh, specifically in reference to Justin Haley and Ty Dillon, I think those are two guys that have a lot of confidence and maybe squeaking out a top 10, but definitely a top 15 finish. So definitely if you go top heavy, those are two names to consider. I would say only use BJ McLeod in a very extreme situation, but because he's still going to finish like probably near – the back end of the twenties or maybe the early thirties, but definitely a guy that you can feel a little bit comfortable with uh, if you do go very top heavy. But another guy that we mentioned earlier in the show, Todd Gilliland has had a very commendable rookie campaign so far, positive place differential points in the last three races was in line for a top 10 at Daytona before wrecking late again, finished better than his team at Michael McDowell in the last three races. Also three lead lap finishes, two top 20s, and he has more stage points than Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch this season. Starting 25th is a bit of a gamble for me, only because in all those races, he did start way deeper in the pack, in, like in the 30s or the later, later 20s. So um, maybe tread a bit lightly there with Todd Gilliland, but he did run very well at Daytona earlier this year, and he's done a remarkable job, in my opinion, early in his rookie campaign. So Maybe consider Todd Gillen, but I think I'd have a little bit more faith in Justin Haley or Ty Dillon at Atlanta this weekend. And then finally, one guy who we don't know what we're going to get out of him is Noah Gregson making his second cup start. But this is a brand new track for every single driver. The playing field is definitely equalized. And that 16 car has been fast all year. We mentioned the win last year with A.J. Allmendinger at the Indianapolis road course. Daniel Hemrick scored a top 10 in the cup series earlier this year came close to another in the Daytona 500. So I think Gregson has great super speedway success and he's on like the hottest stretch of any driver between any series this season. Starting 30th, that's a really, really appetizing starting position for me for DFS purposes. And I think that Noah Gregson's a guy that you can kind of feel a little bit confident in uh, maybe maybe putting in your lineups if you want to go really top heavy as opposed to uh, a BJ McLeod. Maybe he's a bit of a safer option. Yeah, Noah Gregson, like you mentioned it, he's on the hottest streak of his career, and he came in with some big shoes to fill and high expectations at Daytona, or at least, you know, it's a big race, it's a big stage, like there's always going to be high expectations regardless of what car you're in, and he stepped up to the plate and had a great run, I think better than anyone was expecting, and was running in the top 10 for a large part of stage two and stage three, so he's a guy who has learned to perform well under the pressure, so I'm excited to see, especially with some good equipment in the Cup Series, what he does at a track where everyone is in the same boat and not really knowing what to expect. We're going to give you a few drivers though, to kind of advise you to stay away from it. And that starts with Harrison Burton and Christopher Bell. They've both been among the worst DFS drivers all season long. They've just gotten off to really slow starts. And they're two guys that I just, I can't imagine putting them in your lineup and being comfortable until they show some sign of sustained success over several weeks in a row. And we just haven't seen it yet with either of Harrison Burton or Christopher Bell. A couple other guys who are also in that same category statistically are Michael McDowell and Alex Bowman. Bowman's got the win at Vegas, but outside of that, 
very inconsistent. And that's on brand for him. I mean, we talked about that in our episode last week after he won at California, just a guy who he wins one week and, and he's been very consistent the weeks around that. He's the opposite of a guy like Ross Chastain, who kind of feeds off of that kind of momentum, um, which is kind of weird to say, uh, but that, that does play an element into these types of things. And you just never know when Alex Bowman's going to put a good run on. Um, but Michael McDowell, yet to have a positive place differential this year. He is a good super speedway racer. So if this does end up being that kind of a race, could be a bargain there. But both drivers are also starting deeper in the pack in 29th in the case of Michael McDowell and 11th for Alex Bowman. So could be considered uh, if, if you're looking for a guy that is starting deeper in the pack and you take a lot of value into the place differential, but use them with caution. Just keep those things in mind if you're looking to put either one of those two drivers in your lineup. Yeah, I think both guys are worth looking into, mainly McDowell, just given his 29th starting position. But uh, Alex Bowman is definitely a gamble, just given his inconsistencies and uh, the 11th place starting position. But I will say that Alex Bowman has had a lot of speed at Atlanta. And if there is anything that you can kind of carry over from prior races, he's worth keeping an eye on. But I, I just don't think it's going to be played that much of a factor this weekend. I mean, we're watching practice right now, and the draft's definitely coming into play. He is fast at, at tracks like Daytona and Talladega, but I just think he has trouble keeping it clean. Um, I feel like he wrecks every single time he's at one of those tracks. The last guy I do want to touch on is Eric Jones. One of a few drivers, again, like Michael McDowell, who has negative place differential points in every race, but he's been one of the fastest drivers all season. He's been in line for a top 10 in pretty much every single race this season and just caught up in a wreck late every single time. Terrible, terrible luck. But, I mean, it has to turn at some point. That speed's got to translate to results. And uh, this could be the perfect week for him to get back on track, given his super speedway success. And he's starting 23rd. So if he is indeed contending for a top 10 once again this week, as he has in every race this season, it could be another big day for Eric Jones and a big day for you if you put him in your fantasy lineups. Well, we've done all this talking about what drivers to put in your fantasy lineup. So why don't we give you our DFS lineup recommendation. And this does include the starting positions because once again, qualifying was rained out and we're recording this later into the week. So our fantasy lineup is going to lead off with Kyle Larson. We mentioned we really, really want to get him in the lineup. He's the favorite to win the race. He's been the most consistent driver. He's the defending champion and he starts 21st. He's valued at 10,500, the most expensive driver and for good reason. So Kyle Larson leads it off. He is followed by five drivers that are kind of in similar budget territory, uh, a couple less than others, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the second most expensive driver is Tyler Reddick, and we're putting a lot of stock into Tyler Reddick and his ability to perform well at, at tracks like Atlanta and at least what has been described of the repave here um, because he starts fifth. You want to make sure that if you're picking any driver that starts in the top five, that they're not going to be a, they're going to be a, a bullet put to good use. And I think that Tyler Reddick very well could be that, especially with how well he has run recently. Third on our lineup is Brad Kozlowski valued at 8,600. Um, we just talked about the possibility of this being a super speedway race. And again, literally looking at the way practice is playing out right now in the truck series, the draft is going to play a factor and this is going to be a Daytona-esque event. And Brad Kozlowski was the fastest driver at Daytona and uh, led the most laps and won a stage in that race. So he's in our lineup along with Kurt Busch. I, I think that Kurt Busch is one guy who kind of should be a lock for your lineup. He's the only one who tested at this track that is in our fantasy lineup. He's had uh, great success at Atlanta, the winningest active driver there. He starts ninth intermediate position there, uh, and he's coming off of another top 10 run at Phoenix. So Kurt Busch, definitely a guy I feel comfortable including in our DFS lineup. And then you've got a couple of other guys who are known for their prowess at super speedways. That's Ricky Stenhouse Jr., valued at 7,100. He starts 28th. And Justin Haley, valued at 6,100, he starts 22nd. So we went heavy with guys who are going to perform well to, traditionally at super speedways. We went definitely went that route, um, and it could come back to bite us in the event that this does not end up racing like a super speedway. But based on what we've seen so far at the limited track time this weekend, I personally think it's going to, and that's why we went with that particular lineup. If you don't feel like that's going to be the case, then listen to the last 25 minutes of what we've been talking about with these drivers and guys who are going to perform well at Atlanta and in these conditions 
um, with it not necessarily being a super speedway uh, type of event. But I certainly think, based on what I've seen so far, Cole, that, that that's what it's shaping up to be like. And you think about the unpredictability aspect. We've got some drivers who are money in the bank consistent, like Kyle Larson, Kurt Busch. Anytime there's kind of uncertainty and you don't know what to expect, you rely on the veterans, you rely on the past champions. Brad Keselowski gets thrown into that mix too. And so for that reason, I feel very comfortable about including veteran drivers in your lineup this week. I completely agree. And yeah, but once this practice session started for the truck series, there was about three cars on the track. Now there's, it looks like there's about 15, 20, and they're all running in, in a pack. So that's definitely going to come into play, the drafting and all that. I think having guys like Stenhouse and Keselowski in your lineup is going to pay off in a big way. Blending that with the intermediate track stuff uh, with Kyle Larson and Tyler Reddick, it's going to pay off at a big way too. And just combining it all together with the baseline from the test in January, I think Kurt Busch, you mentioned it. He, he's a guy that should be a lock for all your lineups. He's moderately priced too. So I think this is a very well-rounded lineup and it's going to fit the weekend very well, but I guess we'll have a better uh, idea of how it'll shape up and who's going to be fast in practice here at uh, 1230 Eastern time. Yeah. And I'm getting pretty amped up watching this practice because I mean, it's such a different dynamic because they are racing in a pack. The draft is playing a factor, but it's such a shorter track than Daytona and Talladega. So it's, Something so different than anything we have ever seen. And I am ecstatic that we get to watch it on Sunday. I am so excited to see it. But let's get into the fun part, Cole. It's time to get into our winner picks. And neither of us has picked a winner yet this year, Cole. You've been closer than anybody. I mean, there was a, a very hot streak the first three weeks of the season where you picked the, the fastest three drivers in the field. They just didn't end up winning the races. Um, we've had good sleepers. Again, Ross Chastain, who I picked last week as my sleeper, finished second. Your sleeper finished second a uh, couple weeks ago. You picked Chase Briscoe as your sleeper, I think, the week before he won. So we've been picking the correct drivers, just kind of not in the right order. So uh, the law of odds says that that's bound to change at some point. And I picked first last week, and that would mean that it's your go this week, Cole. You get to pick uh, who you think is going to win and who you think that your sleeper for the win is going to be at this brand new Atlanta track. Oh, this is so tough because my gut is telling me one thing, but I do want to go with the experience as well. Off the fly, my gut is really telling me Tyler Reddick. I picked him at Fontana to win this season, and I think this track's going to race kind of similarly to that, blended with a Daytona or a Talladega. But I just think that momentum is so key, especially with this new car. And I think what we're seeing, as made evident in these first four races, is that these dirt guys are adapting to these next-gen cars exceptionally well quicker than your average drivers uh, who didn't come up through dirt and I think that they're going to catch on again very quickly at Atlanta and for that reason I'm going to go with Tyler Reddick for the win this weekend I just think all these weeks are coming so close and and, and failing to execute are going to add up to uh, one big win at a brand new track so Tyler Reddick's going to be my winner and then for my sleeper I'm going to go with a guy who has had speed all season, but hasn't had the results. And that's going to be Eric Jones, a guy who's had a lot of success on super speedways. He has a win at Daytona. And if the, uh, the pack is anything as we're seeing right now in the truck series practice session, then I think that uh, Eric Jones is going to have a really, really strong day. I love it. And I, well, the last time you picked Tyler Reddick, I called it bold, but guess what? He went out there, led the most laps and would have won the race. If he didn't cut down a tire, I'll be on the record saying that he definitely would have won that race but my winner pick is actually going to be a guy that we haven't talked much of anything about. And I'm going to pick him for a couple of reasons. I'm going to pick Joey Logano to win this race. And I just kind of alluded to the fact that anytime you go to an unknown track or a new track, you want to rely on the veterans of the sport, the ones who know how to get it done and how to adapt on the fly at new experiences and, and new conditions. And Joey Logano has been a guy who has done that. He wanted the LA Coliseum in the first trip there. He won at Bristol Dirt the first time there. Um, so I just think that anytime we're walking into new conditions, Joey is a guy who has shown an ability to adapt better than any driver um, on a yearly basis, no matter what the new track surface is, no matter what the new uh, configuration is. He's a guy that has, he's just shown a, a really good ability to do that. And I think that he, he's also an, a very underrated super speedway racer in a lot of ways um, because I mean, Case in point, we haven't really talked about him much in this episode um, in thinking that this is going to be a great super speedway race. And um, he starts third. I really like that a lot. You, you talk about a race with a lot of unknowns. 
I think that starting up front is going to be a big advantage, um, regardless of the fact that this is shaping up to be a super speedway event. There are a lot of unknowns, and I like the idea of a guy who plays the draft well when he's up front, uh, potentially fending off a lot of drivers. So um, on top of that, I was going to pick Joey anyway, but very ironically, I had a dream last night that he was going to win this race. So uh, for various different reasons, he is my winner pick. My sleeper is going to be Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And uh, the Chevys have been quick this year. All the bow ties have been fast. I think that you look around the sport at, at one specific manufacturer that has been the fastest from top to bottom, and it's been Chevy. I mean, every single Chevy in the field virtually has had a shot to win every race. And I think about Ricky Stenhouse Jr. as having been one of the highest overachieving drivers so far this year. And you go to a track that uh, we mentioned that he's got great super speedway racing abilities, and it's certainly shaping up to be that kind of a race. I wouldn't be surprised if Ricky Stenhouse Jr. ended up winning in Atlanta. I honestly would not be surprised by it. So going with the 22 and the 47 for my picks this week. So lock in your bets, take it to the bank, take into account everything we've had to say about the drivers that you should steer clear from, the drivers that you maybe should include into your lineup, and it could result in a big payday for you come Sunday, March 20th, 3 o'clock Eastern Time, Atlanta Motor Speedway. It's the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500, 325 laps, 500 miles, and it's all going to be broadcast on Fox. You are not going to want to miss that. Definitely want to tune in there, and we want to thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. It's the most important stop of the day, the money stop. And for Cole Cusimano, I'm Stephen Cusimano, and we will see you next week. Gotta make them want to come back for more.